So in Romans 12, uh, 15 and 16, it calls us to do two things. It calls us to weep with those who weep and to live in harmony with everybody. Now, right now, the black community is hurting. Are you hurting with and for them? Or are you getting defensive and causing greater division? See, we're called in God's word to be really quick to listen and slow, slow, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Instead of creating greater disunity, seek to understand the hurt. And a couple resources to help you do that. Um, The Gospel Coalition, anything that they've put out so far, uh, has been really helpful to me. Um, And and I trust, and also Cottage Grove Church in Des Moines. It's a church plant of Cornerstone and Ames, just like us. Um, Anything that they've put out as well has been really helpful. Pointing to the Bible, helping us to navigate these things. So um, do a lot of listening. Do a lot of learning. Um, The call of Jesus is greater and better than anything that the world's calling us to right now. So weep with those who weep and and live in harmony with everyone. All right, let's get to Genesis. We're in Genesis 18 to 20 this morning. And here's, here's the main idea of this passage. People are foolish and God is merciful. People are foolish and God is merciful. I probably don't have to convince you of that, especially the first part, that people are foolish But I want to start with this quote by A.W. Tozer. He said this, Both the Old and the New Testaments proclaim the mercy of God, but the Old has more than four times as much to say about it as the New. That might be kind of startling, but it's true. The more I read and study the Old Testament, the more I realize that its pages are just full of the mercy and grace and love of God. God doesn't become like this, this nice guy in the New Testament and, and was just this rage monster in the Old Testament. No, he's even more merciful in the Old Testament, and we're going to see that all over this passage this morning. So let's start reading. Genesis 18, verse 1, the English Standard Version. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet with them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest. And may you refresh yourselves. And after that, they may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick. Three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Sounds like a good meal to me. Curds and milk, maybe cottage cheese and steak, it looks like. I mean, I I know cottage Cottage cheese is kind of a polarizing thing. You either love it or hate it. I love it, so this sounds fantastic to me. Apparently, God loves it, too, because he shows up. and um, Well, actually, we don't know if he loves it. This is what Abraham serves him. But we digress. Um, we see God's mercy all over this part because God himself shows up. This is what's called a theophany. A theophany is when um, 
Jesus shows up before he was born in the flesh. So whenever I believe, and, and, and a lot of people believe this, anytime you see a human form of God show up in the Old Testament, that it is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, we saw that in Daniel, the fourth person in, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe was Jesus. I think this is Jesus because he, he's standing with him. He ate with him. He talked with Abraham. And this is especially merciful when you consider last week's passage. Genesis 15 to 17. I mean, Abraham was super hesitant and, and sometimes even just straight up distrustful of God. And God himself shows up to hang out with Abraham. Jesus shows up. What mercy here that Abraham did not deserve. But, like I said, people are foolish. So Sarah throws her hat in the ring. We're going to see every person except for God himself that's brought up act like a fool in this passage okay it's going to be huge it's going to be fun all right verse 9 they said to him where is Sarah your wife and he said she's in the tent the Lord said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife shall have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out uh, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. This is a, a funny exchange, and I love it. But what you have to remember is that within the last year, it's, it's what we ended with last week. Within the last year, Abraham did the same thing. God says, hey, your wife is going to have a child. And he goes, yeah, right. Now, she would have known about this. Okay, she would have, if she wasn't there when Abraham did this before, she would have heard about it. But yet she does the exact same thing. But here... Sarah laughs to herself, okay? So she didn't laugh out loud. This is a conversation in her, in her head. But God sees and hears and knows everything, right? So we learned that with Hagar last week, right? He sees and he hears. And sometimes that's a little unnerving. And for Sarah, that's a little unnerving here. You can't hide from God. And Sarah foolishly denies it. It, it goes beyond that. She laughs and then goes, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. And God's like, no, you did. I'm God. I know. Now, thankfully, I'm not God. Because at this point, I'd just be like, all right, I'm done with you guys. You laughed about this twice within the same year. I'm done. Um, but thankfully, God didn't do that. He's merciful. And he's going to give them what they don't deserve. And they don't deserve a child and the blessings that they're going to receive. But, but God reaffirms his promise to Sarah and to Abraham. So let's keep reading verse 16. Then the men, the, this is the two angels and, and Jesus, the, the men, or the, the, this is just the angels, Jesus sticks around. The men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what, am I, what, I'm, what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So God's merciful here. Sarah just laughs in his face and he responds with mercy. I'm still committed to this blessing. Mercy in this context would be kind of like if, if, if you have children or you can just imagine a child if you tell them, hey, go clean your room. And they just laugh in your face and go, ha, 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 no. But then, instead of responding how you should, probably by disciplining them in some form, instead you go, okay, that wasn't okay, but I'm going to help you clean your room now. That's the equivalent of what God is doing here. Abraham and Sarah both laugh in his face, and he just shows mercy, what they definitely do not deserve. He says, nope, I'm still giving it to you. It's incredible. But we see more of God's mercy. He promises Abraham safety for righteous people in the city Sodom. Verse 20, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. As we're going to see next, Sodom and Gomorrah is a terrible place. Terrible cities with terribly wicked people. But God is merciful. But we also learn here that God is just. And that's what Abraham is appealing to. He's, he's appealing to God's justice at the end of verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham's saying, it is unjust and not consistent of you, God. It's not consistent in your nature to destroy righteous people along with the wicked. So he says here, what if there's 50 righteous people? Will you save the whole town? He's like, yep. And he keeps going. If you, if you read here, he, he says, what about 45 people? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And every time God's like, yep, I will spare the whole city just for 10 righteous people. Now, Abraham's probably so concerned about this because his family is there. Lot and his family lives in Sodom, as we're going to learn. But God is merciful. He says, yeah, I'll spare the whole city just for ten righteous. But as we're going to find out, there's not even ten righteous people in Sodom. So, let's skip forward to chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he, but he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. 
And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. I don't know if you caught this, but every last male shows up. Every last male in this town is sexually wicked. So much for ten righteous people. This is gross. This is appalling. Keep reading verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Disgusting. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come after, under the shelter of my roof. Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. This is, this is heartbreaking right here. Even Lot joins in on the sexual wickedness by offering his daughters instead. Not even Lot is righteous. Nobody in this town is worthy of saving. But yet God is merciful because He promised Abraham that He would. So verse 10, but the men reached out their hands. This is the angels. They reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were about to, be, about to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he, he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And this is key, verse 16, but he lingered. But he lingered. So the men... The angels seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand of the Lord, being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him against, or outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I, I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee. Flee too, it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Okay, God mercifully saves Lot's family here. And it's, it is incredible mercy. Because I don't know if you caught 
all of Lot's foolishness here, but Lot wickedly offers his daughters, but yet God still spares him. Lot lingered. They're like, get out of here. We're going to destroy this city. And he's like, yeah, I'll get around to it. And then in verse 18 to 20, he even questions the angels. No, I don't want to go to the hills. I want to go over to this city instead. And Andrew's like, fine, go to this city. Okay, mercy after mercy after grace. He totally didn't deserve this. Yet, Lot did do one good thing, I guess. <laughs> he hosted and protected these angels. You know the town's messed up when this is your best guy. But God is also just. So God justly destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for this wickedness. And it's easy to look at this, and it's easy to look at other acts of God's justice and think, wait a minute, is God good? What happened to his love and his mercy and his grace? But God's justice is actually really good news to everyone. It's, it's good and loving of God to be just. Think about it. When someone hurts you, when someone does something wrong to you, your heart cries out for justice, right? When someone else is clearly treated unjustly and is hurt. Our hearts cry out for justice. Justice must happen here. It's good for God to be just. It's incredibly comforting in the face of a lot of injustice in our world today. God will not let any injustice go unpunished. But in His timing. And that's where it becomes hard. But God justly destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, but he has mercy on Lot. All right. Just in case you thought it was only the major characters who get in on the foolishness, we get the unnamed characters jumping in on the foolish mess. And I'm just going to describe this part. Okay, you can go back and read it. It's rather graphic. Verses 26 to 38. Um, Lot's wife. We don't even know her name. It's just Lot's wife. But she looks back while they're running away. We saw in verse 17, the angel clearly said, don't look back. Well, she looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. I don't know why a pillar of salt. I, I hunted. Lots of people have hunches, but everyone thinks a little something different. So we're not sure why salt. Um, but what matters is um, that, that she, she dies. <laughs> she turns into a pillar of salt because she's foolish. She doesn't trust God. She doesn't listen to God. And then, Lot's daughters... A little while later, Lot's daughters get Lot drunk and sleep with their dad. They disdain God's mercy and engage in the very sin that Sodom was just destroyed for. Sexual immorality. Everybody's joining in on the foolishness here. Even the minor characters. But just in case you thought it was only the minor characters, Abe wants to get in on the foolishness too. So don't leave Abraham out. 20 verse 1. <clears throat> From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he journeyed to Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. <clears throat> I, I call this section Sister Act 2. All right? Sister Act 2. This happened in chapter 12. Do you remember that? He does the same thing. They show up in Egypt and he's like, um, uh, my wife's smoking hot, so uh, she's my sister. 
Well, that doesn't, that doesn't help. The king takes her, and thankfully, as we see, God has mercy. We're going to see this in a second. But Abe, aren't you going to get it? Are you that foolish? Are you that stupid, Abraham? But think about it. Isn't that us? Isn't that me? I mean, I just think within the last couple weeks, <laughs> one day I impatiently and wrongfully accused one of my kids who was not listening, or, or without listening to them. Okay? You did this because of this. Came down on them. And then they're like, no, actually, I, I didn't. And this is what happened. And I felt like a turd. And I apologized. And, but then the next day, you want to know what I did? I did the same thing again. And I've had to apologize again. So you look at this and go, Abraham, what are you thinking? But isn't that us? But God is so merciful with Abraham and God is so merciful with us. So let's, let's see his mercy. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I will not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Jump down to verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. And the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God mercifully cleans up Abraham's mess with Abimelech. He intervenes, shows up in Abimelech's dreams. That's how proactive God is here. Shows up in his dreams. And he's so proactive that he even, he even closes the wombs of all the women in Abimelech's house. Just to ensure that this doesn't happen. Just to make sure, okay, nothing's going to happen to my promise here. Why? Why is God so merciful to Abraham and Sarah? I mean, certainly because he promised them that he was going to give them offspring. And certainly because Abraham and Sarah were valuable to God. He cares for them deeply. But ultimately, God is doing this for his own glory, for his namesake, for his reputation. His reputation is on the line here. This is why God is so merciful to anyone. That is who he is. He is constant. He is faithful. God is unchanging. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And God's perfect plan that is ultimately for His glory and for His fame cannot and will not be upended even by these boneheads. Okay? 
And that is great news for us, too. We can't mess up the plan of God. God takes what we were singing about before. He takes brokenness and makes it beautiful. That's what God does. So why is God so merciful to foolish people like us today? Well, let me tell you a story about a time in my life where I was super foolish. I was a camp counselor, 16. I was 16, okay? Give me some grace. I was a camp counselor my first year as a, as a counselor out at Hidden Acres. And I decided one, one day, I was having a conversation with the other gal, okay, another counselor, during, during the day. And I forget what we were talking about. It wasn't actually that serious, now that I think of it, which makes it even more foolish. But it's like, oh, we should finish our conversation. So after our, after our kids are asleep, let's meet in the mini golf course and continue our conversation. Well... I did that, and I was what's called a junior counselor, and there's a senior counselor, so I wasn't like the one in charge in the cabin, but anyway, I sneak off, I do that, and I, to be honest with you guys, that's all we did. We were just talking, okay? This wasn't, this actually was, was pretty innocent, and I just wasn't thinking clearly about how it would be perceived, but obviously, people thought we were fooling around doing stupid stuff, okay? So, senior counselor comes, finds us. I think this is the end. I'm going to be sent home. This is terrible. Well, thankfully, God, through his mercy, um, let me stay at camp. I had to be on work crew the next week, which I actually found to be fun. But I should have been sent home. And if I would have been sent home, I probably wouldn't have come back as a counselor ever at that camp. And I wouldn't have met my spouse, Heather, I probably wouldn't have gone to the college that I learned about, Northwestern and St. Paul, from other counselors. My whole career might be different, and I certainly wouldn't be here, because I was here through connections at Hidden Acres. But God, through camp, showed his mercy to me, and the rest is history. Now why? Why did God do that? Certainly because I'm valuable to him, but just because I'm valuable to him doesn't mean I, need it. I don't need a good kick in the pants every once in a while, right? God lovingly disciplines those who are his children. But God knew in this circumstance that he ultimately would get more honor and more praise and more glory through showing me mercy. And that's exactly what happened. So I want to end today by sharing what Pastor Ray Ortland, who's a pastor at Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, he has his church say this, this mantra, these three things. And it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, so don't take it too seriously, but it has some truth, okay? So if you feel comfortable, I'm going to say them, explain them a little bit, and then I, I would like you to repeat them back with me together if, if you feel like you can do this. So the first one is, I'm a complete idiot. Okay, I mean, think about it. We're... We are so foolish, and I'm just speaking for me. If you're not there, if you don't believe this about yourself, that's fine. You have some maturing to do, but um, I mean, we just, we are. I mean, we're so messed up, so sinful and foolish and really not that impressive at the end of the day. And I, even on my worst day, I deserve eternity in hell because of my sin. I'm a complete idiot. Second one, though, my future is incredibly bright. 
Here's what that's not saying. That's not saying that tomorrow is going to be awesome and fantastic. But I do know that tomorrow Jesus is going to be with me and in me. And I have access to His peace and His joy every day. And one day, I will be with Him for eternity in paradise, in heaven. No more tears. No more injustice. It's going to be incredible. Because of Jesus' mercy, through Him coming and dying on a cross and rising from the dead, my future and your future, if you believe in Him, is incredibly bright. Maybe not externally, but internally. And one day, it will be completely bright. And thirdly, anyone can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this. We need to extend this mercy of God to anyone and everyone. So, if you would like to repeat this out loud with me. One, I'm a complete idiot. All right, I'm not the only idiot. Good. Two, my future's incredibly bright. And three, Anyone can get in on this. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just humble us, Lord. Humble us. Help us to realize how foolish we often are and how desperately we are in need of your grace and your mercy. And God, I thank you. I thank you for these examples of what even not to do in the Bible. I pray, Father, that you would help us this week to live in light of your mercy. That as we realize how undeserving we are, it would cause us to turn to you and worship you and and praise your name, God. I thank you that you don't deal with us like our sins deserve. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning, God. Thank you so much, Jesus. Instill in our hearts Just this incredible sense of awe and amazement and humility that you are so merciful and we are so undeserving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.